Welcome to We'll Always Have Paris, a podcast that dissects and discusses culture's best and worst love stories set in the city we call home. I'm Rachel Kapelke-Dale, author of several novels, including The Ingenue and The Ballerinas. And I'm Nafkote Tambarat, author of The Parking Lot Attendant. And I'm Chris Newens. I'm a journalist and nonfiction writer. This week on the pod, it's our first annual battle of the love stories as we place them head to head to fight it out for the title of best Parisian love story of We'll Always Have Paris season one. It's an incredibly prestigious prize, Le Concours de Sexy. So stay tuned to hear where your favorites end up. We've been building towards it all season, and now it is here. The number one love story. Season one of We'll Always Have Paris. And as you see, I finally learned the title of our podcast. (laughs) So that's a bonus. (laughs) Yeah, we did it, guys. We've made it to the end of the first season. Um, So within this episode, we are going to do a concours de sexy, because the French lover concours, just a competition, and they love the word sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're uh, trying to hit up our SEO here. (laughs) (laughs) One more time for the cheap seats, concours de sexy. (laughs) I actually probably will include this clip in my application for citizenship. If Casey want to know how well I've integrated into your society... Look at my English language podcast. <laughs> we didn't want to call it the sexy Concorde sexy. Just <laughs> like, yeah, just be redundant. <laughs> they might think I'm an idiot then. We're we're writers. They don't give citizenship to dum dums here. Everyone is brilliant. 4.0 GPAs only and above. <laughs> Correct. Out of 20. <laughs> so to get us started, we're going to be listing the competitors. You will notice that there are a few exceptions. Because Hemingway got a whole month, or rather three quarters of one, which is what we felt he deserved in the end, (laughs) Um, only one of his works is in the mix, and that is The Sun Also Rises. We also chose not to include the song, Where Do You Go To My Lovely?, well, we thought that uh, we we decided not to include it because we thought that included just a little bit too much speculation on our part. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and when we speculate, you know, we always fall in love with our own avengers. So, with that in mind, Chris, will you tell us what the actual competitors in our concours are? Okay, so the competitors in the concours, and just a, also, I want to give a, a quick explanation of how it's going to work. Um, we're we didn't want to just have a kind of like a battle royale in which we had all of them fight it out together because that would have got way too complicated. So we've decided to go for a tournament structure of 16 different love stories and each one will be pitted against each one individually uh, in the first round. And then the winners of those competitions will go into the next round. The winners will go into the next round and then we'll have a grand final to decide who our greatest love story of all time is. For American listeners, this is our version of March Madness. For the rest of the world, it's just soccer. I mean football. I mean football. <laughs> um, yeah, and the other thing that we uh, should mention is as well, we, we're going to have different criteria for each round uh, coming up. So while we're going to start off on the, the first 
the first wave is all going to be deciding kind of which one is a better love story between the two pairs. In the next round, we're going to pull our own random criteria, which we have put into a hat uh, earlier, out of that hat, and we're going to have those criteria, and those are the ones which are going to decide the rules of the engagement to come. And then the last round, the final, will be judged as to which one of our love stories is most representative of the city of Paris. Um, Any questions? (laughs) Well, I will say that we threw in uh, about 10 criteria altogether. So we're going to be selecting these, as Chris said. We will read the rest of them to you afterwards, just in case you wondered how this could have gone. And we invite you to play along at home. (laughs) So in which case, let's introduce our 16 competitors. Um, On side one. On side one, we have... Les Miserables, the love triangle of Marius, Cosette and Eponine, going up against Breathless, the love story between Michelle and Patricia. That's, wow, okay. We then have Rambo and Verlaine, the... Bohemians to end all Bohemians. (laughs) Going up against Miles Davis and Juliet Greco. Ooh, the, the sexy 60s Bohemian. Exactly. Uh, I think, you know, it's uh, fair to say that those are two favourites kind of maybe meeting in the first round there. I know. It's a real, uh, what is it, France-Germany matchup? I, I don't know football says. Even though that's not our setup, I really do feel like we all have headphones on and we're all looking down on a field and we're all wearing ties and we're all commenting on, like, Julia Greco and Miles Davis had come onto the field. Oh, oh, Verlaine is not happy. Oh, Okay, though, the coach came in. That's how I'm imagining us right now. Berlin's got his knife out. (laughs) This is usually where I stop watching sports games, so that's all I know about sports. (laughs) Third in the roster is Josephine Baker and her love affair with Paris itself. And she's going up against Paris Blues. Oh... Okay, very cheeky. I like it. I like it. <laughs> the, the the jazz film, um, the 60s jazz film starring uh, Sidney Poitier and Paul Newman. Um, then the fourth, uh, fourth one on our roster is going to be Giovanni's Room, the relationship between David and Giovanni. And that's going up against um, a, its contemporary, The Blessing. <laughs> Who could forget the relationship between Grace and Charles-Edouard? <laughs> Excellent. I'm so glad that Chris did the seating. Now, if you guys are having a hard time keeping this in mind, we will make the image of this on our website, the image of this episode on our website into these brackets so you can follow along as we play. That took me out. Wow. Chris, what is side two? Side two. We have... um, I think this is our only, oh no, it's not our only all celluloid uh, competition. It's, it's the first of our only two cellu- all celluloid com- competitions. Moulin Rouge, Ooh! a story between Christian and Satine. Our winner, ultimately. <laughs> is going up against Amelie, uh, the relationship between Amelie and Nina. Which is fine, which is derivative, I thought. But yeah, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. Uh, then we have Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas, who will be taking to the field against Emmanuel and Brigitte Macron. Something that none of the four ever anticipated. (laughs) Brigitte is like, all right, I'll play. (laughs) Uh, Number seven is The Dreamers going up against The Sun Also Rises. Oh, that one is just to get me. (laughs) 
Matthew, Tio and Isabel going up against the uh, star-crossed lovers of Jake and Brett. And finally, uh, the last of the first round of the competition, we're going to be seeing Casablanca, the relationship between Rick and Ilsa, go up against Last Tango in Paris. <laughs> Paul and Jean. The two extremes of unhappy Paris love stories. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent seating. Wonderful. Okay, so let's begin. Round one is just pure love story. Okay. Yes, which is the better love story? Uh, we need it. We should, it'd be nice if we had a bell. We don't have a bell. But um, all right, so the first one, the first game, uh, <laughs> the first game to come is going to be Les Miserables. So Marius Cosette and Eponine versus Breathless. Uh, Michelle and Patricia, and I actually had to <laughs> Google the names <laughs> Michelle and Patricia. Which should tell you something. I'm 100% Les Miserables on this yeah. because that actually has some goddamn emotion. Well, I was going to say, it's debatable whether or not Breathless is a love story. Yes, they use the word love in passing the way that when I use the word bidet or pillow. Uh, but I, in terms of do they actually love each other at any point, they themselves seem to be confused about that. Whereas in Les Miserables, there's no question. We are in love, 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 love. Chris? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel that um, I, I, I almost want to fight for Breathless just to kind of give it some sort of sport. Yeah, yeah. Look, we have a lot of conversations to have today. <laughs> I mean, this is a complete massacre so far. Um, what have they? I mean, it's got it. It's um, it's very iconic, you know. I mean, like it's got um, people would they would see uh, Gene Seberg and Paul Mo uh, Belmondo, and um, and and. There's something about that when you see those two together, which people would think love in Paris. That's, That's one of the iconic images of love. In if we were judging on sexy, that would do it. But something to think about with this question, right, is when we talk about what is the best love story, are we talking about it from within the love affair or from the outside? Because I agree that if I saw... Eponine and Marius, or really Marius with anyone else, I would immediately fall asleep over my toast. Whereas I see fucking um, Michelle and Patricia, I have to think about those names, and I'm dropping the toast. My eyes are wide open. I might grow a third eye in the middle of my forehead. So it is, what's the appeal of it as an outsider looking in and being privy to it versus being in it and realizing, yes, this is a real, real passion. So that's, again, to complicate things, I also understand we have like 60 million more brackets, so I don't want to... We don't have to delve too far. But I do feel like the, the theme of Chris this season has been interiors and exteriors of Paris. So I think this is thematically very interesting, perhaps. Uh, yeah, but I think it's I think we all agree that it's still gotta go. No, of course. But I, you know, I wanted to join I wanted to join Christopher Jerome Newens. I, I I think we need to be official about this though. We need a uh, we need we need to vote because uh, we don't have to vote, we don't have to write anything down, but like um so Rachel, uh Breathless or Les Miserables? Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Les Miserables. And yes, I'm also going to vote for Les Miserables. The, um, <laughs> Vive la République! <laughs> relationship between um, iconically played by uh, Eddie Redmayne and Amanda Siegfried. See, it's when you bring up the actors that everyone's going to think they're fucking ridiculous. <laughs> In my life, there are so many questions and answers to stop passing This is just the rest of it, guys. There are no more brackets. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, Rachel and I come in with an ooh, ooh. <laughs> As we've established in that episode, I can only play Madame Thenardier, given my vocal range. So, 
apologies. We're going to change the flip the love story. <laughs> I'm kind of mad that the love story there wasn't Jean Valjean and Javert. I did put in an official complaint and no one responded, which makes me think the inbox isn't working for me. I don't want to bring this into the pod, but it's just a question I have. I mean, so we've we've got our first uh, our first victor. Um, Goodbye, Breathless. One of the most uh, iconic films about Paris has been. Um, we've consigned it to the trash can of history. Ah, uh, yes. Godard is delighted. He's like, "Haha! I knew they would never understand me. I knew the success was temporary." You're welcome, Jean Luc. Okay, then coming up with our, uh, you know. Our second, uh, the second competition between Rambo and Verlaine versus Miles Davis and Juliet Greco, and I think this is a this is a tricky one, right? Is it? I'm sorry. Uh, for me, Davis and Greco, no question. They stayed friends afterwards. Mm-hmm. There seems to be real, actual affection. There was five million percent less abuse. Five million percent less. Are they in a relationship or are they trying to kill each other? And again, I don't mean to kink shame. If that's your thing, that is your thing. But I like to keep my mortality intact when I think about, contemplate love stories or am I in them. Julie Greco and Miles Davis, I mean, the best rom-coms are always the ones that are really about a friendship. In my true story. Okay, but so again, I guess I'm, I'm going to have to fight the cause for uh, Rambo and Verlaine. And, and to be honest, I I think they, they have a, a genuine or should have a genuine chance here because it's... It's one of the the best known tempestuous affairs between two very famous, talented people that exist. I'm not saying that Miles Davis and Juliet Greco are not equally talented, but it's a less well known affair, basically. And the the Rambo and Verlaine thing it epitomizes something of this like l- like fiery temperaments uh, relationship between Bohemians and a particular kind of Paris, which I think. Um, that we should be interested in is one of the selling points for the city. Whereas I don't know, just in kind of like the global consciousness, if uh, Davis and Juliet Greco uh, ha- has had the same kind of impact mm. on culture. Probably the um, the most famous thing about the uh, Rambo and Verlaine story is that Verlaine um, tried to shoot Rambo um, after you know you know in a, a hotel room in Brussels. Uh, shot him through the hand, then Rambo got him arrested um, and sentenced to two years of hard labor. I feel like you're just reinforcing what we said in that. <laughs> oh, I thought this was—I thought this was you mounting a different defense, and I'm like totes. And so, <laughs> I'm just trying to remind. Listen- Keep it spicy, yeah. What the love stories consisted of, and then after the two years of hard labor, uh, Verlaine had converted to Catholicism. Uh, he came out. He saw Rambo straight away, trying to convert. Rambo to his way of thinking and yeah within about an hour Rambo and Verlaine were just fucking again and uh, Verlaine had turned his back on Catholicism so to speak (laughs) (laughs) and whereas uh, whereas you know Miles Davis and Juliet Greco it is true I mean like what what was that line that he had which like he he loved her too much to marry her and she was also the only woman who he cared about as a human being Again, once you get into the nitty-gritty of a lot of these relationships... Look, we're not saying how much we love the people, right? right? We're just saying the pure love. Um, All right, I think it might be time to vote, though, on that one. So, Rambo Verlaine. Oh. Oh, wait, no. No. (laughs) No, 
You said it now. It was just it was just in my mind from you having talked about. And you said it with such I was like, wow, with such inevitability. Davis Greco, obviously. It's like you've been paid to take a fall. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the pay of big poetry. <laughs> Um, Juliet and Miles. That was wonderful. I was like, whoa, it's going to be a crazy day. <laughs> well, to be honest, if uh, Rachel had, in fact, gone for Rambo and Verlaine, I might have changed my vote and uh, gone for because maybe I genuinely want uh, Greco and Davis to win. But because there's no chance, I want my vote to go for Rambo and Verlaine. All right. So but that means that uh Greco and Davis, uh, they go through to the next round. Yeah. Okay, Greco and Davis through to the next round. Goodbye, Rambo and Verlet. I hope all the Black Geminis make it to the next round. That's my goal today. I forgot to tell you both. (laughs) Coming up next, we have Josephine Baker and her love affair with Paris itself going up against Paris Blues. The uh, the the movie about jazz musicians in Paris, and when we're talking about Paris blues, we're talking about the relationship between both Ram and Lillian and Connie and Eddie. Um, both the men in these relationships uh, have to ultimately sacrifice. Well, the question is whether they should sacrifice Paris uh, and everything that it represents for love. Okay, so again, I'm going to return to my original point from the podcast about this episode, which is that you've got two couples who are established in real life. Poitier and Carol are dating for two years at this point, or maybe three. Newman and Woodward have been married, I think, for three years. And, you know, again, following Joey from Friends' logic, I think you just don't get the chemistry on screen. So I got to say... It's for me, you know, also in the hopes of uh, advancing Naf's agenda, let's move along. Josephine Baker and Paris. I um, I mean, it really does seem at this point that Rachel and I just planned everything beforehand. <laughs> and I'm not saying we didn't, but I, I thought we were going to be less obvious about it. Uh, to me, it's no questions asked. Josephine Baker and Paris, if nothing else, because... I think no matter what you think, what we any of us think about Josephine Baker herself as a person, as a figure, her love of Paris, I think, is really undeniable, right? The the affairs that she had, who she slept with, who she really liked from whom she slept with, that's all debatable, but she loved Paris, and Paris for a long time loved her back, whereas I think in Paris Blues, beyond the chemistry on screen, it's actually never really clear to me if any of the people in these couples in the movie's logic alone if they actually genuinely love each other authentically or if they see each other as being kind of chess pieces that they can kind of move around to advance on their own, right? So for Connie, I'm not, it's not clear to me if she really loves Eddie or if she really loves the idea, if she's, if she's such an activist that in her mind, it's like, it's worth whatever happens down the line to kind of bring everybody home, right? To make sure that we're all fighting on the same side. And for Ram, um, you know, we all killed him. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So there you go. Yeah, and I think um, I will 100% agree. I don't think that in this in this round, for me, Paris Blues doesn't get a look in. I think that the the love story between Josephine Baker and Paris, although, um, you know, it sounds corny, the idea of somebody really loving a city, but it seems one of the purest, most authentic relationships that I think that we've, we've covered here. I mean, like, because... Um, Paris obviously gave Josephine Baker acceptance and freedom 
Um, and it, it, as you say, it, it loved her back as well. Like she became an icon here for a time. You could say that she was almost, she almost owned Paris to a certain degree. Um, when you could walk a cheetah down the Champs-Élysées, you own Paris for all intents and purposes. Well, and then there were sacrifices that she made for Paris in the sense of, well, she fought for it more to the point like she she fought in um, as a, in the resistance during the Second World War in the name of Paris. So, yeah. So vote. Vote. Baker. Baker. Yeah, Baker. Okay. It's a baker's dozen. Just kidding. It's... It's it's really not. It's actually very close from it. Uh, very far from it, rather. <laughs> she was episode thirteen. So, uh, oh God, we're back. <laughs> it all works. <laughs> okay, so uh, number four, we've got Giovanni's room. <laughs> <laughs> David and Giovanni, um, and that's going up against the blessing. <laughs> Um, the Nancy Mitford book about a relationship between a uh, upper class English woman and an upper class English man, and these, oh, sorry, sorry upper class French man. Um, and it's important to note uh, that, yeah, that these books were written in pretty much at exactly the same time. And also, they each feature one character just absolutely lying to themselves. We've got Grace mm-hmm. and we've got David, who are just oblivious and get very different endings. Yeah. Now, I think it's fair to say that we were not a huge fan of the relationship between Grace and Charles Edouard. Right. Um, but I think just honestly, in terms of love, they're going to be kind of blissfully ignorant together, mm-hmm. which is better than being blissfully ignorant, better than being ignorant while one of you is guillotined and the other one is just miserable alone. So I got to go with the blessing on this one. Wow, okay. I mean, it's fair to say that Giovanni's room is not, it's not a heartwarming love story. Ooh, no, no. And it kind of rivals Miles Davis and Juliet Greco for the brevity of the relationship. It's a month, maybe, in Giovanni's room. It's tough because Giovanni's rooms, when they're in love, you really believe despite, in spite of himself, David actually really is in love with Giovanni. And obviously we know Giovanni's in love with David. Whereas, yeah, Grace and Charles Edouard, uncertain. Also, you have fucking Siggy. To be fair, there is something to be said about a common enemy. And I do believe that there... Siggy was the uh, the child of... Uh, the demon, demon child. child. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, who spends half of the book trying to drive Charles Edouard and Grace apart. And he just drive... He drove us away, frankly, from the rest of the book. Um, but I can see their relationship really... The sort of like, it turns out that all... Children are psychopaths, basically. <laughs> I stand by it. Very well-written child, but, you know. <laughs> but no. We already have them in real life. We don't need to have them in, you know, smaller print as well. But, yeah, I mean, I can see them over the decades kind of banding together, forming an alliance in their aim to destroy Siggy. As Siggy gets more and more power, he becomes more and more maniacal, takes over the house. So I can kind of see that she is being a lovely you know, war between Axis powers and the Allies, right? Like, I can really see Grace and Charles, come, you know, fighting and the end of their marriage when Siggy stabs them both to death will be them holding each other's hands and going, I've always loved you. And what will be left unsaid is more than this person who's killing us. You know what? In future books, they have like 15 more children. And so Siggy's like, now I'm not spoiled at all. I'm going to go follow this like blues musician around. <laughs> and he becomes, you guessed it, Ram from Paris Blues. <laughs> I mean, I think I, like to me, although, as I say, it's not um, it's not a heartwarming love story. But I do think that the love story between Giovanni and David does tell us something about love. Um, you know, or about like the the 
sort of like forbidden desires and matters of the human heart and what that means and and clearly like yeah fighting against your best instincts and i think that you know for that just for its broader implications i think it it, it should win and um and also um you know who could forget when i uh asked uh, chat gpt <laughs> like to write a, ha- a happy ending and if only david had been able to get over himself then he'd have been being invited back to giovanni's village in italy um <laughs> in retrospect i really wish that Ch- chat gpt had taken you less literally and just made it end with a hand job <laughs> <laughs> also imagine if it was a trilogy giovanni's room giovanni's village giovanni's world Ah. Uh, uh, gradually expanding. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I'm going to put my vote in then for Giovanni's room. Blessing. I'm going to say Giovanni's room. Chris really got me with that. Oh, and then I was thinking James Baldwin. I, yeah, I want him on. I want him here. Okay, so we have the um, the first side of the the drawer is now all settled. The B side of the B side. We've got uh, so Les Misérables. Um, the relationship between uh, Miles Davis and Juliet Greco, the relationship between Josephine Baker and Paris, and the you know, <laughs> I don't know how many people this could have beaten, but um, <laughs> Giovanni's Rim um, uh, coming in. We voted that, <laughs> that absolute tragedy of a love story. This next round's going to be interesting. But first, time for side two. Yeah. So this um, this is coming up for the uh, the right to play against Les Misérables in the the next round. We've got Moulin Rouge, the love story between Christian and Satine, versus Amelie, the relationship between Amelie and Nino. Mm-hmm. Look, Amelie and Nino, I at least buy. They're like weirdos <laughs> in the same way. What are you talking about? There was no emotional depth to the love story in Moulin. Excuse me. I feel zero about them. I am, I am, uh, I am done. <laughs> that is all I have to say. Christopher, would you like to continue the massacre? I mean, no, I, I think that Rachel is being very cynical. Like, I think that, that maybe she didn't learn what she was supposed to learn from that <laughs> film. Wait, remind us, though. What was it? Maybe I didn't. <laughs> oh, shit. There's something about loving, and um, it's definitely the greatest thing that you'll have. The greatest. I think beauty was really important, too, and maybe truth of, Yeah. I mean, I really thought it was just an accurate depiction of bohemians in Paris. I, <laughs> More so than Berlin and Rambo. A hundred percent. Look at the, look at those posers, right? Ewan McGregor's doing what needs to be done. Listen, it's just, you've got music, right? You've got an animatronic Paris. You've got absurd set pieces. How is this not love, right? How You've got people being corseted in. You've got consumption. You've got Elton John songs. I just, I, I only felt love. I cannot believe this is going to win. <laughs> and everyone at the Chem Finn Festival f- might have felt the same way as you. <laughs> uh, I, 100%, I fucking, to the point where I don't even remember what the other thing were. Vote- well, maybe you've got to give, give us a reason to vote for Amelie. Oh, Amelie, I really forgot. <laughs> it's delightful. They're two little weirdos who find each other in this crazy world. I do like Amelie too, but I feel like Amelie gets a lot of credit for being a movie. <laughs> Moulin Rouge doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> That's because one of them's good. Yeah, exactly. Don't you want to be with the underdog? I do. Look, we're voting on love, and I'm telling you, I feel the love in Amelie, and I feel zero in Moulin Rouge. It's a tragedy, because if you remember, you know, uh, Satine dies at the end. 
Um, it's um, it riffs on uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, and also uh, Christian and um, sort of like satanic sat- satanic metaphors. Um, there's all sorts of things that I think that. I mean, there is so much in the movie. I don't, I, there's, I think, a lot that I haven't understood. Same. And I've only watched it a few times in the last few months. <laughs> okay, vote. Mulan Rouge exclamation mark. Obviously, Amelie. Oh, this is tough. Uh-oh. Chris, Chris, Woo. do the right thing, Chris. I want to see Mulan Rouge go through to the next round. <laughs> chaos, chaos, chaos. <laughs> so there we go. That's our first, the first Bill Les Miserables will be coming up against Mulan Rouge. That's perfect. Feels right, though. Yeah, feels right. If Mul- if it was Les Epi, it would be Mulan Rouge. Okay, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of titans here fighting for the right to uh, go up against uh, Greco and Davis in the next round. We have Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas against Emmanuel and Brigitte Macron. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the better love story? They're both, actually, they're both two of the most enduring love stories. That's true. And they each had their, like, problematic dynamic. Mm. Some more, some less. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think we have to say, I mean... We are stumped. No, for me, I've got to say uh, Stein and um, Stein and Toklas. I think that they, it's a, it, it seems, uh, I want to say a little bit purer. I mean, I know that there was this sort of like weird dynamic in that Gertrude Stein was very much a, uh, a self-identified genius. Um, and she had convinced... Um, Alice B. Toklas that she was as much of a genius as she said she was. Um, so there's a little bit of manipulation. But there's also that in the macro. Well, yeah. That's true. So, But you know what? Gertrude Stein is friend of the pod and for that reason alone, just loyalty. loyalty. Yeah. And in terms of enduring, in terms of just being iconic, in terms of influence... Are we really going to argue against Stein and Toklas for Macron and Brigitte? I know that's not how their first and last names work in that couple. But it just, it does seem a little bit, it feels voting against or voting down Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas feels for me like voting down an epoch, if you will, of like Paris history in a weird way. Like it feels like voting against a big chunk of time as well. And I, I don't know if I'm... I don't yet feel ready to do that. And I know that we shouldn't be thinking about it in these terms, but also just the Macrons would not have a chance against uh, Davis and Greco, you know, so this is the more interesting choice. Well, I mean, just a quick recap on, uh, you know, how uh, Macron and, well, sorry, Emmanuel and Brigitte met. Uh, She was 39. He was 15. (laughs) That old love story. <laughs> what more can we say? Yeah. <laughs> he was, she was his school teacher. He was a, a crazy kid in his uh, her daughter's class who apparently knew everything. Um, actually, he knew everything but love. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There are I, like, and I think I think this is going to go to Stein and Toklas, but I think there are some pretty romantic aspects of the Macron story. Uh, you know, he he was sent away from Amiens by his parents when he was still in a relationship with her when he was 17. He told her that one day he was going to come back and marry her. And he went to the city. He, he worked really hard. And then he did come back and he made good on his promise. Yeah, I think... Yeah, and it's I, endured. They're still in a relationship now. 
I think the only thing I would say to that, agreed, but I maybe more with Emmanuel and Brigitte, what makes the relationship the most romantic is almost one-to-one ratio, the, the things that also make it the most cringe. Whereas I feel like Gertstein, Alice B. Toklas, there's a little bit more variety. Yes, they were collaborating perhaps with the Vichy government, but that was never going to be the most romantic, sexiest part of the relationship anyway. Whereas anything that's... And then Emmanuel chased after, you're like, oh my God, like your parents left because they were worried about... You know what I mean? Like it just gets a bit... Ooh, but it gets, gets complicated, not in a cool literary way. It gets complicated in a ooh, human way. And who could forget as well uh, Toklas's nickname for uh, Gertrude Stein? Mr. Cuddle Waddle. <laughs> I think Mr. Cuddle Waddle. That 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 tips it for me. Yeah. So vote Stein Toklas here. Yes, I'm voting for Cuddle Waddle Toklas. <laughs> uh, so there we go. Stein Toklas. Uh, they're going up against Miles Davis and uh, Juliet Greco in the next round. That's going to be a, a a big one, I think. Depending on what the criteria is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so competing for the right to go up against um, Josephine Baker, we have the Dreamers, so the love triangle between Matthew, Theo, and Isabel versus The Sun Also Rises, Jake Barnes and Lady Brett Ashley. Which is the greater love story? Look, I love some, I love me some unconsummated longing, but I love me some consummated longing more. <laughs> Dreamers. This to me is also Jazz Age versus 60s. And I just, I'm always going to end up in the 60s, I think. So I'm I'm 100% dreamers on this. So it's tough because on the one hand, Sun Also Rises, one of the bleakest relationship, non-relationships relationships that we've seen, uh, the dreamers incest. And so those two things kind of, they take me in different directions, right? Like I kind of wonder, 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 what was that for me? But I think what's going to tip me back into the dreamers is... Louis Garel and Ava Green in that movie are stunning. Like, Louis Garel arguably has never looked that good ever again and never before. So just if I can just pretend that perhaps they're, you know, three cousins removed who look very much like each other, I can kind of get past the whole incest situation and go, yeah, they're they're twinning, but like, we're all twinning, right? Also, growing up in the 90s and early 2000s in America and every guy being like, there was even that song that was like, and twins. And it's like, yeah. So when they're like two hot girl twins, this is incest is fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but if it's a boy and a girl with a third. So uh, I if, if somebody hasn't uh, is listening to this and they haven't watched The Dreamers uh, or listened to our podcast about it. I mean, those aren't those aren't spoilers. That 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 all comes out pretty uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, everything comes out pretty quickly. It's also it's we're not reading into it. That's not subtext. Right. It's it's very much <laughs> that's just there. That's just text. Um. Well, okay, but you know, Jake Barnes and Lady Brett Ashley is just. It, I mean, it, it's it's a very moving, tragic love affair and like there's again like rich human emotions i think being expressed in that um jake barnes is uh his character is impotent due to a uh, a wound that he sustained in the first world war and lady brett ashley is she's she just needs that penetration <laughs> <laughs> and there's bullfighting yeah, well, and Lady Brown, actually, she's, she's sort of basically sleeping with everybody else in Paris who isn't Jake Barnes and a bullfighter in, in Spain. 
Um, I, I do think it's questionable as to if he were not impotent, whether she would actually want him at all. That's the big question of the book. Exactly, yeah. Because you know that he's not going to just suddenly recover po- potency. Ooh. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. Rough. Um, so, and then equally, I mean, maybe, you know, again, if he weren't impotent, maybe he wouldn't even, maybe he would be interested in sleeping with as many women as possible and would forget about Lady Brett Ashley straight away. So I think there's a, yeah, I mean, the question of like how much love there is in that love story is, is definitely questionable. And, and again, with the love stories we've discussed, reciprocity is not always a given, but usually there are varying tides of reciprocity, whereas The Sun Also Rises, it's, as, as we've all said in different ways, it's not just that, is there love in it? It really feels like if one factor changed, would you even fucking look at that other person and vice versa? And that's an open question mark, whereas, you know, with the dreamers, there's no open question mark. There's open everything else, but everyone constantly wants to fuck everybody else, including their twin brother and or sister. And so it is just a different energy that's coming in, right? It's giving, I'm in. It's giving, I love you for today. Yeah, so vote, dreamers. Dreamers. Um, I'm going to vote Sun Also Rises, and I think I would have voted Sun Also Rises just generally. Yeah, it's not a protest vote. Yeah, it's yeah. not. This isn't. Yeah, this isn't a protest vote. I think that. Yeah, there's there's something about the sun also rises and their relationship, which again speaks to I think broader ideas of what it means to be a human being. Uh, whereas, like, <laughs> you know, the the love triangle in the dreamers is just young horny people, but which is great too. Which is actually about kind of seventy five percent of love anyway. <laughs> But anyway, it, my my protest and my vote doesn't count because the dreamers goes through. Okay, and now the very last one uh, competing to see who's going to go up against uh, the famous love story of Giovanni's room. <laughs> <laughs> Thematically not so different. Uh, last tango in Paris. Uh, so the relationship between Paul and Jean against... Our very first podcast, Casablanca, uh, Rick and Ilsa. Okay, so look, <laughs> we know that I'm not the biggest Rick Ilsa stan. I'm like, I'm, I'm like the the emotions a little bit phoned in there, despite the discussion, all of that. But the whole point of Last Tango in Paris is that it's not love because they don't know each other. It's just sex, and then once actually outside stuff starts to come in, like it, it's all downhill from there. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's got to be Casablanca. I mean, I think the reason that I uh, I wanted to put these two together, and I think we mentioned it at the time, was that we sort of saw these as almost like shadow films of yeah. one another. That um, mm-hmm. that this is what what might what could have happened or could have happened between Rick and Elsa if uh, Rick had not had to leave uh, when Paris gets invaded by the Nazis. The the reality of their relationship as they get to know one another more might have, might have broken down. And it's true that I think a, a major, a major theme of the stories that we've done this season has been how love and kind of by proxy Paris acts as a kind of escape for the people who are in these relationships, right? To varying degrees, escape, in terms of self-imposed exile, escaping your country, and especially in when we talk about a lot of the black artists uh, of the season, but also just love as being a, ref- a brief refuge from your life, from the shit that you don't want to deal with. And both of these stories really exemplify that. 
Um, I don't know. It's I completely agree with you, Rachel. There's a part of me that kind of perversely wants Last Tango in Paris to be in the next round. Um, and especially with Giovanni's room, it's like how how much can we wallow? Exactly. And that sadness and misery. We can't vote for Last Tango in Paris over Casablanca. <laughs> I mean, like, not, this is a podcast about love. Like, people will think we don't know what we're talking about. We're literally named after Casablanca. You Imagine, like, we be named, we go with Last Tango, we just hear, like, knocks on the door. It's the poli- French police going, you have not learned anything. <laughs> Get out. Get out of the city of love. No, it has to be Casablanca. Yeah. I do, I, like, I do to pick up about the themes of the season and I, I was aware that I didn't think that Last Tango would make it all the way but I do think of all of the things that we've done it's definitely one of the ones which says most about Paris I mean I think it's actually it's probably my favourite of all of the right. bits of art that we've engaged with this season Right, like Love in Paris being something that is by necessity transient but also trenchant like it doesn't leave you, right? It's the it's that line that Joanne Woodward says at the end, like, I, you you will never forget me and I will never forget you. There's this theme that keeps happening again and again in these stories. When you fall in love in Paris, it is not going to last except in your own memory. And that will be your defining, your last moment before you die almost. I mean, there's a reason that we're called We'll Always Have Paris and not I Want to Watch You Fuck a Pig's Head. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we discussed that, okay? That was a long-ass debate. <laughs> that set us back a year. <laughs> so vote. From Casablanca. Wait, sorry. <laughs> okay, guys. Fi- I think we're all on the same page, but final vote. Casablanca? Casablanca. Casablanca, it's got to be. So before we go into round two, Chris, will you give us a quick recap of our pairs for this round? Yes, a quick recap of the pairs for the next round. We've got um, in the first quarterfinal, uh, everybody's favorite, Les Miserables, uh, coming up against Moulin Rouge. With an exclamation mark in the title there. Uh, Miles Davis uh, and his relationship with Juliet Greco is uh, going up against another heavyweight relationship, which is um, Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas. Then we've got Josephine Baker, who's going to be facing off against the Dreamers. And finally, Giovanni's Room (laughs) versus Casablanca. Now... Obviously, for this round, we're going to have very different criteria. So who knows uh, which could uh, what could win on this? I can't wait. Who's going to draw? Okay, so um, we have a tin with uh, all of our folded up criteria inside. He's underplaying it. It's a tombola. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to hand the tin over to Navcote to draw our first criteria, and this is for Les Misérables versus Moulin Rouge. Okay. The criteria is <laughs> Grace Kellyishness. <laughs> I'll repeat Grace Kellyishness. <laughs> Grace Kellyishness. I wonder who put that one in. Chris, <laughs> you gotta stop. <laughs> it's a German word, right? Right. It, it, means, it means classy and beautiful. Exactly. And you know what? Based on this criteria, I'm going to have to say that Mulan was Yeah. I am so upset. I am just, I'm beside myself. 
You do this on purpose. Are they all Grace Kellyishness? Are they all Grace Kellyishness? <laughs> You'll find out. Can't see how you could really make an argument to say that. Uh, that. Oh, oh, I can't, I can't. Oh my god, you, you all forgot. Oh, you all forgot. Nicole Kidman played Grace Kelly in a biopic, thereby ratcheting up. The Grace Kellyishness. That's what we're saying. That Moulin Rouge is the most. Oh, I thought you were saying because it's not Gracie. Let's not elegant. That it wouldn't be Moulin Rouge. No, I'm saying Moulin Rouge is the only thing with elegance, really. So I think in this, for Grace Kellyishness, Moulin Rouge has to get my vote. Uh, forget my previous rant. I was, I was not quite comprehending um, the looks of, that I saw of Glee. Uh, so <clears throat> politely, yeah. I mean, I guess the Moulin Rouge goes to the quarter. Moulin Rouge with the semi. Yeah, as so a kind of like thinking about it, I can't think. I mean, Les Misérables. It has Jean Valjean going through the sewers. Um... It's not Grace Kelly at all. I just thought. I just thought you would both think that a revolution, a fight for freedom, would be inherently more classy than Moulin Rouge exclamation mark. I don't know, but I obviously overestimated, underestimated. I'm not quite sure. Look, the Thenardier is not Grace Kelly-ish. That's true. Benin, just a little thirsty, not Grace Kelly, you know? Cosette, too dumb to be Grace Kelly. Cosette, maybe, maybe. I mean, they're blonde. That's what you got. Like, that's, but, you know, my vote goes to Moulin Rouge. Yeah, Moulin Rouge, which, as we said, already looks like an extended perfume ad. And Grace okay. Kelly did do perfume ads. Yeah. I mean, you, and as you said, yeah, uh, Nicole Kidman could have, uh, did play Grace Kelly. Yes. Yeah, it's Moulin, Moulin Rouge makes it, Moulin Rouge exclamation mark makes it fair and square into the semifinal. <laughs> the next criteria. All right. And so uh, the next criteria, uh, this is for the match between Miles Davis and Juliet Greco versus Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas. And our criterion is bleak, chic, chic, bleak. Yes. So I was thinking instead of heroin chic, like bleak chic, because it's Paris, but chic. Right. Yeah. So okay. what's the bleakest, chicest? What's the bleakest, chicest? Well, neither of them are particularly bleak. So we're going to have to really think about this. Look, I think the bohemianism of the 50s and 60s is a little bit... Um, the thing is, it's chicer, but it's but the jazz age is definitely bleaker. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I would have to say bleak chic for Greco and Davis, though. I don't I don't think that I don't think. Sorry, Stein and Toklas, I don't think they were at all chic. Chic is not. That's true. No, and the only thing that was really bleak were the descriptions of Alice B. Toklas's face and then the way that Stein's family did her when they stole all the paintings. Yeah, so I guess even though that neither of them is that bleak, only one of them is chic. Right. And listen, there's something very bleak about racism. I, I, yeah. Not to be controversial. Not in a chic way. I, not in a chic It's never chic. It's just bleak. And you heard it here first. You know, their the relationship. Uh, Davis and uh, Greco's relationship was ultimately um, ruined because what like she he felt that she didn't want her to come back to America with him right and America is the bleakest of all yeah, yeah. so I gotta go Davis Greco chic bleak <laughs> you can't just keep saying it so your vote goes to Juliet Greco and Miles Davis yeah and me too Juliet Greco and Miles Davis make it through to the semi-final. <laughs> joining Moulin Rouge in the semi-final. Okay, Chris, you got to pick who's who's up next. Uh, okay, the next round that we have is Josephine Baker and her love affair with Paris against the Dreamers. Ooh, it's my catnip. <laughs> and what are we basing it on? 
is going to be decided on... <laughs> Again, doesn't... Forgasms and a funeral. <laughs> now, Naf isn't allowed to do these anymore. Forgasms and a funeral. I don't know if you put that in. Naf, what does that mean? <laughs> On the hope that this was, uh, you know, to get Mulan Rouge through. <laughs> I was the story that felt the most lethally sexy, but I was doing it through a clever wordplay. Okay, lethally sexy. Um, so wait, so wait, what are so lethally sexy? The Dreamers versus uh, Josephine Baker and Paris. Okay, in terms of just pure sexy, I would probably go Dreamers, but lethally sexy. She Baker worked for the Resistance. Uh, but you, I think, I think this is just a, a desire to push Josephine Baker through. I think on this strange criteria, I think that um... <laughs> for orgasms in a funeral, I think we got to go the Dreamer. I was so worried that wouldn't be chosen, and I'm delighted. <laughs> I felt the same way with Grace Kelly. <laughs> Yeah, I think I have to agree. As much as I want Josephine Baker to always be in every criterion, um, I think, I think, yeah, in terms of the sexiness and, and frankly, in terms of the lethality too, right? Like it is, I mean, I guess they weren't going to literally die probably that class, but 1968, there are Molotov cocktails everywhere. There is definitely... She does try to kill them. That is true. She does try to kill them as well. So yeah, so, it, and it just feels like there's an, there's definitely an atmosphere in that world, even if we don't see it all the time as viewers where... Yeah, things are things are falling apart potentially, right? This might be a, a completely new world order, and we don't know what it's going to look like. If it's going to be good, if it's going to be bad. Yeah. So dreamers. Yeah, I think it would have won uh, Bleak Chic as well. Oh, totally. The, totally. the, the kind of the, the decadence in that apartment um, and them swanning around. I'm not sure it wins Grace Kelly ishness. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Depends on who it's up against. I mean, Moulin Rouge is tough to beat in that category. <laughs> Um, right, well, the Dreamers then is going through where it will face Moulin Rouge in the semi-final. It's going to be tough. Okay, and our final pairing of this round. <laughs> oh, do I choose? Uh, yeah, the iconic uh, Giovanni's Room versus Casablanca. The criterion is... <clears throat> Which story would please Gertrude Stein more? Yes. Love it. Perfect. Um, yeah, Casablanca. I mean, it's Giovanni's room, actually. <laughs> I really didn't think it would make it. Yeah, I think it has to be. I, I think it's you. She was a collaborator. Nothing good happens to the collaborators. Again. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but I was going to say the interesting thing is that um, Gertrude Stein would have had an opinion on Casablanca, obviously, because yeah. it would have come out when she was. Um... But I think that if you gave her the script of Casablanca, even after they'd done all the rewrites, so not the troubled scripts in between, and then given her G Giovanni's room, her as an editor, her as someone who could curate, who had such great taste, I think that she'd be blown away by Giovanni's room in terms of its prose, in terms of what it was doing, really just because we talked about this on the episode, right? That one of, one of the things that we can, I think, really agree that she was a genius in was not only being able to have excellent, exquisite, unique taste, but also being able to articulate why that taste was as good as she said it was. Yeah, that's right. I think it's Giovanni's room for me. Yeah, I, I think Giovanni's room, I think is there's no doubt about it for me is that it's Giovanni's room. I can't believe it beat Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> but this is not on the criterion of it being a good love story anymore. Like, I mean, I think love story-wise, I think Casablanca, it was always... It was always going to be a tough ask because if we remember that the final is supposed to be about how well this thing represents Paris. And despite 
despite our title coming from Casablanca, Casablanca is, um, spoiler, not really set in Paris. <laughs> Mainly set in uh, Casablanca. We've got like, yeah, nine seconds of green screen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think Giovanni's Room, a very worthy winner there. Okay, so that takes us, what, to the semis? Yeah, we're uh, we're already in the semis. Um, and to tell you the uh, the semifinals, the first one is Moulin Rouge! Exclamation mark versus The Dreamers, another all-film billing. And the other one is Miles Davis and Juliette Greco coming up against Giovanni's Room. <laughs> Some dark shit. Okay, so it's my turn to pick. <laughs> so Rachel comes up with the criterion for this one. And this is Moulin Rouge versus... This is Moulin Rouge versus The Dreamers. Okay. This is Chris's. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Which story is more ooh-la-la? <laughs> Which story is more ooh-la-la? It depends on whether you mean a shocked ooh-la-la, which is how I'm going to take it for the dreamers. I'm not fucking voting Moulin Rouge again. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. okay. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you want kind to... Of... No, I think, Naf, I think it's uh, y- your job is to save Moulin Rouge here, which I'm assuming that you're going to try and do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I've never said out loud that I'm the Gertrude Stein of our group, but I'm really starting to feel with this Moulin Rouge debacle that, yeah, I'm quickly coming into the lead. Okay. I am the tastemaker. Let's even go with this theory about, oh, yeah, it's a shocked ulala. Were you not shocked? Were they not shocked, rather, when there was blood on her handkerchief? I mean, there was lots of shocks. Oh, la la. Oh, la 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 la. I would de- definitely say that they say ooh la la more in Moulin Rouge. They do. And the whole, I mean, one could say that Baz Luhrmann's, like, directorial incentive motivation, like, his mood board is just ooh la la in lots of different fonts and, like, you know, eye-searing fluorescent shades. He is ooh la la all over the place, okay? He ooh la la over Romeo and Juliet. He ooh la la over Australia. Again, to varying degrees of success, I just think Moulin Rouge could easily be called Ulala. <laughs> it could very easily be called Ulala, that is true. But I think in comparison to uh, sexy twins, incest, and Paris in the 1960s, it's almost like the epitome of Ulala. It's more like, oh no, no. <laughs> Oh, let's be honest, right? When I see twins fucking, and I don't want to, I don't mean to judge the two of you. I'm judging. Um, I'm not thinking like, oh la 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 la. When I see Hugh McGregor and Nicole Kidman, I'm like, oh la la, oh, oh la la. You know, you've had your say. You are outvoted. <laughs> Nicole, come come in, come in. Thank you for thank you, uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, on the show for the first time. Uh, sit right here. <laughs> also, uh, ooh la la is commonly spelled with an exclamation mark, which uh, Moulin Rouge. In fact, um... no, no, don't, don't, don't change your mind. No, no, Chris, no, no. We always said we'd let Chris speak freely. What you could one argument in favor of Moulin Rouge as well is that the film could have been called Ooh La La. Yeah. Uh, there is every possibility. Whereas the dreamers, imagine calling you couldn't have called it Ooh La La Dream. Ooh La La Rev. You can't. I mean, you couldn't have called it Ooh La La Rouge either. You could have. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You've lost the thread. <laughs> I call a vote. Okay, vote. Rachel. Dreamers. Moulin Rouge. Vote for the Dreamers, I'm afraid. <laughs> I did not see this coming, though. The Dreamers is going into our final. The first one in the final. I'm so thrilled. I'm, I am. <laughs> I, I you am. are disgusted. I am de-thrilled. I was trying to think about making thrilled backward. Doesn't work. <laughs> Nothing is right in this world. 
and to decide who the Dreamers faces off against in the fi- uh, in the final. Uh, it's uh, Miles Davis and Juliet Greco versus Giovanni's Room. Ooh, okay. Okay, and the criterion that we will be... It's a lot of tension here as I unroll this. Transgression. <laughs> oh, that was mine. Ooh, that's really hard for this. This is... This is tough. I mean, all right. I'm going to go out and say that Giovanni's Room is, in many respects, a book about transgression and about the the, the kind of the consequences of transgression or perceived transgression um, and, you know, how you deal with that. Uh, but I will say that the Davis-Greco relationship, it was open. And so that openness was more transgressive right. than, like, than a hidden transgression that David's hiding from everyone. So I'm going to go Davis on this one. I'm really torn because I think that if the story hadn't been set, or, well, if if their meeting wasn't in Paris, like if it was in the U.S., then it'd be even trickier, right? Because or it'd be harder to choose because, of course, their whole relationship is at this point illegal. Like you are, it's it's so transgressive. Whereas because of its brevity, because of the fact that they were both like it's kind of a for that time period and for how long it lasted, it's kind of perfect for that milieu in Paris like oh this this beautiful American black man comes doesn't stay right so we don't have to think too hard and long about are they gonna have a family are they gonna stay together for long it really fits in with kind of I think the romantic aspirations of this group of artists in Paris so I think I'm leaning more towards Giovanni I guess yeah Julia um Julia Greco and Miles Davis has like the hints of transgression but in terms of as you're saying Chris like the whole book of Giovanni's room is really it's probing that question over and over again in different ways I see what you're doing. Uh, like I, I see, sorry, I see like the arguments you're making. I just really don't want Giovanni's room to be in the final. There's that too, as well. So my final vote is Davis Greco again. I mean, I think that uh, Giovanni's room is a very it's a it's a fantastic book. It's not okay. I mean, it's squeezed through on the love story aspect, but um, <laughs> it's... are we gonna end up calling it the number one love story of the season? <laughs> Because that's fucking dark. <laughs> Talk about ending on just the most hopeless note ever. This is some bleak shit. shit. This is chic bleak, okay? <laughs> we are officially the chicest, bleakest podcast you've ever listened to. <laughs> so, yeah, Davis Greco here. Chris? Giovanni's room. I gotta say Giovanni's room. <laughs> and then, Chris, will you pass me the tombola, please? And we'll see what criteria we could have had. Well, hold on. We, I thought we could... Um, so, the final is... Um, for the um, the dream is now the dreamers versus Giovanni's room, <laughs> but I thought we could do a a third place playoff uh, to find out with another criterion between Moulin Rouge and uh, okay. Miles Davis. Our runner, our, our second runner up. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. So this is this is sorry. This is, this is for the third place, and this is a competition between Moulin Rouge and Miles Davis and Juliet Greco. Okay, the criterion is. Oh no, it's a not criterion. <laughs> I can't wait. Which is the most Moulin Rouge ish? <laughs> um, most problematic. Plus, I want to be, th- and I and I want to be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> most problematic, and I want to be the pro- Moulin Rouge. I want to be the problem. I am the problem. It's been uh, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> 
problematic because of how bad it is. Yeah, but also most problematic. And I want to I want to be the problem in this problematique, right? I want I want to be at the center of the problem. Because the Davis Greco thing for me is only problematic in the way that he discussed it. I love you too much to marry you, blah blah blah. But I don't want to be that problem. <laughs> um, but the problem for me with Milan Rouge is it's a terrible fucking movie, and I also don't want to be that problem. So if I had to choose, but if you, but you could vote for Milan Rouge, and you could say it's because you think it's the most problematic in terms of being a movie, period, and that would be really in keeping with your values. And then Milan Rouge gets to be third place, so we all win. I think, but, if you yeah, think about it, the relationship between um, Satine and Christian, which is really what we're talking about here, instead of its relative merits as a movie, um, is that problematic? I think there might be problematic elements in that they don't really seem to know each other at all. Right, I think it's very problematic. <laughs> I think it's extremely problematic. She's sort of like, sort of like a semi-sex worker. Well, also, if he's supposed to represent Christians and she's supposed to represent Satan, that's mad problematic. Like, imagine if God and Satan just got it on today. Like, we would never hear the end of it. Yeah, I think you're just giving too much credit. Me? No. Whatever. I'm ignoring the criteria and just <laughs> saying Davis. Great. This is a first. Empire Rachel Kapelki Dale. If you, if you want, if you want, if you really want the, because uh, I think we we need a second one because this th these are both problematic and nobody wants to be the problem. Okay, the the next criteria is a Chris one. It's thick. I can feel it. I don't think it is. A, I, we've had my two. <laughs> oh no, it's mine. <laughs> Astrological signs. <laughs> Okay, so we have, um, let's see, Miles Davis is a Gemini. Yeah. Um, Julia Greco, I think, is a Libra. Hold on. And then we do we do Buzz Lorman sign? No, Julia Greco. So we've got Aquarius, Gemini versus, no, we're going to do Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. She's a Cancer. I know that. I thought that I thought that the star sign was uh, the greatest thing that you'll ever learn <laughs> is to love and be loved in return. Okay, so we've got you guys have skin in the game here because we've got on the one hand Aquarius Gemini versus Cancer Aries. Ooh, Ooh. Eva Gregor is Aries. That's hot. Um. I got to say, those are square signs, and we do not feel the tension still, whereas the other one, they're both air signs, and that goes well together. So again, Davis Greco for the win. Based on this criteria, I think it has to be Julie Greco, Miles Davis. Yeah, and I have to I have to cede uh, to Rachel's knowledge here. <laughs> Just my plan all along. <laughs> um, and also because I think we don't necessarily want Moulin Rouge to come third. Please start. Please stop saying we. Okay, don't speak for me. Okay, don't order for me. Two of us don't. Should we? Uh, should we vote? Main oh, should we vote? Sure. Um, in terms of problematic slash, I want to be the problem slash astrological science. <laughs> my vote goes to Julia Greco and Miles Davis for third place. Julia Greco, Miles Davis. Moulin Rouge. No. <laughs> Such a fucking spoiler. <laughs> uh, Juliet Greco, Miles Davis. And here are, the, here are the criterion that we did not use. Criteria that we did not use. <laughs> this was me. Vibes. <laughs> <laughs> and this must be enough. Revolutionarius. <laughs> so I think that we we are the real winners here. Agreed. Because we came up with some excellent criteria. But now it's time 
for the final after this brief message. Come back to find out who the number one love story of season one ends up being. Will it be Giovanni's room (laughs) or will it be the dreamers? (laughs) Find out after this. We'll always have Paris. We'll be right back with more of the love story. We'll Always Have Paris is brought to you by Lingoda. You guys, on the pod, we talk a lot about how much we love Paris and the parts of it that we love and the Paris dream. But in your experience, if you had to say just in one word, what's the worst part of living here as a foreigner? Oh, it's... (laughs) One word. One word. It's being misunderstood. I mean, for me, it has to be the bureaucracy and just being kind of like given... 12 pages of a French document to try and read through or turn to negotiate a, a French website which and you don't know which button is leading to you where and then sometimes you just find yourself going in circles and uh, I'm sorry I'm having a flashback. Oh it's okay it's okay Chris it's a safe space. It's okay well it's not a safe space because yeah. I was just about to say that neither of my podcast hosts can follow instructions so right. obviously uh, <laughs> I'm not going to blame it all on the bureaucracy either but that was also mine. The worst part about living in a foreign country is the bureaucracy. But I'll tell you what, you guys, to live in France, to move to France, to become naturalized as a citizen, you need a B1 level, which is like low intermediate on the European framework scale. And you know how you can achieve that is by taking courses with online language school Lingoda. They have French classes that go up to level B2, so you can master French bureaucracy while also being understood. So they have a program to get you where you want to be super fast with a program called Sprints. These are two-month learning challenges where you take lessons intensively so you can see big progress quickly. Over a course of 60 days, you can attend a course every other day for a sprint or every day. Sounds intimidating? It's not. These are 60-minute courses available live online, basically on demand when you want them. You can decide the topic of your choice by picking from Lingoda's huge selection of course topics within each level. If you attend all of the courses you've said you will and follow a few other simple rules, you'll get 50% of your cash back if you took the sprint and 100% of your cash back if you did the super sprint. So these are courses with five students maximum, native level instructors. They go through speaking, real life conversations, as well as learning grammar structures that will help you understand how to fill out a French form. You go through exercises and quizzes on your own, if you like. These are not mandatory for the sprints. And in fact, we can start you off with some savings already. Follow the link in the description and use the code HAVEPARIS20 to get 20 euros or 25 US dollars off of your initial deposit. So you're saving money before you even start these sprints where you already are getting the opportunity to get 50% or 100% if you do the super sprint of that entire deposit back. You can save the money for your residency permit for Paris, uh, France more generally, or for passport photos, which you're gonna need for way more purposes than you think. So by taking the language courses, you'll need to make your Paris dream a reality through Lingoda.
and now it's the moment we've all been waiting for, which will be the number one love story of the season. Is it the dreamers or is it Giovanni's room? (laughs) That's right. Um, 19 podcasts and they've led to this. All comes down to three pieces of paper. (laughs) (laughs) So um, thoughts? It was tough because I think, well, I think with all of these love stories, what's it's hard for me to differentiate between or kind of separate. I liked reading, watching, hearing the story versus do I think it's the most emblematic of whatever the category is. So my, the choice I made, it was tough. It was tough, I'll say. And I think I did, I, I think I went the right direction. We can talk more about it as we go on. So for me, we like during both of these podcasts, we talked a lot about how great the representations of the cities were in different ways. You know, this idea of this exterior chaotic Paris versus the interior, you know, that's this calm that then starts to go bad or this this excitement that starts to go bad for the dreamers. And then, then in G- Giovanni's room, it's almost kind of the opposite, you know, of a Paris that has all sorts of secret nooks and crannies, but then has kind of this squalid interior place that's also a haven and just a lot more complicated. So there were a lot of complex factors to take into consideration here. Yeah, I think that yeah, both of these um, love stories uh, are representative of Paris in yeah, as you say, in in very different but very you know accurate ways. Although maybe the dreamers for me is representative a, a little bit more of a. <laughs> This sounds stupid. A dream of Paris. <laughs> no, I agree. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. That uh, the Giovanni's room, um, to me, it kind of it seemed to um, represent the city uh, more as I have experienced it um, as well. Although I would also say that, and I think I said this at the time, that one of the interesting things about Giovanni's room, before I had read it, I had heard a lot about it, and. I was actually surprised because I thought that there was something supposedly very romantic about Giovanni's room. And, and then when the room actually appears, it is, it's not romantic mm. at all. And it's, it's sordid and horrible. Um, but, you know, it does hold, it, it, it tantalizes you with that idea of almost like the dream that the dreamers is perpetuating this closeted space in which anything is possible. Uh, which again, I think has been one of the kind of the big themes of the season is is a lot about Paris interiors and what can be gotten away with within them, uh, away from the eyes of the outside world watching. The Dreamers to me really feels like if you've never been to Paris, if you've never lived in Paris, what you might imagine Paris would be versus Giovanni's room, which I agree feels a lot more, even though of course there's a huge gap in time period, it feels a lot more akin to what I experience here the the daily trudgery of just living in any city really but definitely of paris well let's see what we ended up voting for you guys okay so we uh, have written down our answers so that we can sway one another this time round uh and so in no particular order the first vote goes to the dreamers Ooh. the second vote goes to Giovanni's room. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the third room. It's the tiebreaker, you got. This is it. What could it be? And it is. It's Milan Rouge. 
enough because I has written Moulin Rouge. I did it in the hopes it would be blamed on. <laughs> so it says Moulin Rouge, just kidding, dreamers. <laughs> so I love it? you. You can keep that. <laughs> Tattoo to my chest. The dreamers, the dream, the dreamers wins. Um, the... <laughs> I don't think we could have given Giovanni's room the Concord the Sexy. No. The Concord the Sexy has to go to the incestuous win. It almost feels disrespectful to James Baldwin to, to honor him in that with, with that dubious honor. Like he's like, thanks, motherfuckers. <laughs> so you think I was trying to write a sexy book? You do. <laughs> A little bit of a post-match analysis here. I think that the Dreamers would have won out on a lot of the uh, criteria that we also had too. It's very, it's very bleak, chic. It's very forgasms and a few. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What were the other ones that we? Uh... Let's see. What have we got here? Uh, I mean, problematic, and I want to be the problem. De- yeah. Uh, what Gertrude Stein would pick? <laughs> yeah. Astrological signs. Yeah. Yeah. Are any of them Gemini? Eva Green's Gemini, right? I think so. She's also a twin. Um, no, she's Cancer, I believe. Oh. Um, most problematic, want to be the problem. Revo- Grace Kelly. Revolutionarist. <laughs> yes. Pretty revolutionary. Vibes. Vibes. Oh, vibes all over the place. And uh, ooh la la. Yeah. Which it did win. Yeah, Dreamers really. Dreamers cleans up. It's, yeah. it's a worthy winner. It's a worthy winner. So you're welcome, Bertolucci. Uh, I know you've, you're you pretty obscure. No one's ever seen your movies. You, you know what? Last Tango did go out in first round. <laughs> <laughs> but we see you. We recognize you. Please call us at any time. <laughs> so that is it for season one of the pod. But stay tuned because there's more in the coming weeks. Next week, we will have for you our favorite clips from each segment of the show. After that, we're going to do a re-release of Casablanca, the show that started it all. And then we'll be back in September for more Bleak Chic and Ooh La La. (laughs) 